Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Natalie E. West is a clinical psychotherapist and an expert in nutritional psychology. Natalie is a sought-after facilitator and speaker on the topics of self-image and the power of poor nutrition on your mind and body. Natalie's work has taken her to stages in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and down in her home of Australia. Natalie is passionate about the health of our relationships, especially the one we have with ourselves. Natalie facilitates authentic and connected relationships with both individuals and with groups in workplaces. With qualifications in clinical behavioral science and applied clinical hypnotherapy, Natalie is also qualified in the areas of neurohypnosis, clinical hypnosis, public speaking, group meditation facilitation, physical and psychological conditioning, and performance coaching. She is also experienced in the field of nutritional psychology and currently completing a qualification in nutritional psychiatry. Natalie's passion is helping people and to empower her clients' mental well-being and lives so they can get back to doing what they love and be more present and calmer in life. Natalie E. West, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Amazing. Thank you, Casey. So excited to chat today. See, I am too. Um, I'm, I'm surprised I got through that introduction with a lot of big words <laughs> without stumbling more than I did. You do a lot of stuff. This is really you did amazing. amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Well, 16 years in now. So it, it's been a journey. So um, yeah. I'm sure you've seen a ton of changes in those 16 years, and I really want to cover that. My first question actually is it's something I probably should know, but what's the difference between psychology, psychology, psychology and psychiatry? <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, around 16 years ago, so just to kind of take you back and, you know, looking at psychology in, I guess, the, the standard psych world of, you know, we look at our brain, right? We look at our head and, and we talk to the brain. And we talk to, you know, the parts of ourselves that we want to kind of get, you know, more intimate with. But in relation to um, nutritional psychiatry and nutritional psychology, it's about actually looking at the body as a whole, um, as a whole being and not just talking to, a, for example, what I would call a starving brain. So nutritional psychology has developed in relation to our patterning and programming and where we learn our food behaviors from in relation to how we seek see food, use food, and generally it's via our emotions. So I work in that space to actually help people understand, one, how their mind works, two, in relation to their first brain, which is our gut, uh, which is so, so, so important because um, you really can't talk to a starving brain and a, and a gut that's not working properly long-term and actually really get a long-term solution for, for a person. Um, nutritional psychiatry, 16 years ago when I started in this, it was actually called psychonutrition. So if anyone actually understands who Linus Pauling is or Abram Hoffa, you know, they've been talking about the connection between the gut-brain axis and, you know, depression, anxiety and, and mental health for, for, you know, many, 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 many years. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we look at psychiatry and psychology and medical in all separate buckets, right? So we're really not putting the full piece of the puzzle together. So I look at the body as a whole, not just talking to a starving brain. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Why, why is that so unique? Why do you have that perspective with nutrition when you're right? Like they're, they're so siloed off and, and, you know, we think of this one thing as this one thing and we need to medicate and this is the other thing and you do therapy. They're not related to nutrition. Nobody is talking about nutrition being related to any of that. And has that been part of your career from the very beginning? 
Pretty much, yeah. So what had happened um, doing psychology and then I ended up going to a seminar where I was watching a psychotherapist who was talking about orthomecular nutrition and psychonutrition. And I was like, wow, never heard of that before. And then obviously did my own research and I had a chat with him after. And he had said to me, you know, Natalie, if you really want to do this long-term and really, really help people and put all of the pieces of the puzzles together you just can't separate the psychology of the mind and talk to that for the next 10 to 15 years because what happens is your gut is being fueled most of the time by really high inflammatory, really bad foods. And guess where our serotonin is made? It is made in our gut. So again, he said to me, you must connect the two. The gut-brain axis is such an innate, intimate connection with our psychological health and our physical health. And I just sat there and was like, makes sense. And then I went back and researched Abram Hoffer and Linus Pauling. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking, Casey, back as far as the 1900s. There were so many people talking in hospitals back then, you know, around the fact that you must feed a patient correctly um, for the brain to work properly. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that it was like many other things in medical, it was basically the the, the kind of uprising of pharma that probably distanced us from talking about nutrition, just like epilepsy or again, many other different things in the medical field. Absolutely. And, you know, epilepsy is a really good point because, you know, if we talk about epilepsy and, you know, the power of ketosis on the brain for an epileptic, you know, that literally reverses, um, you know, um, fits and things like that. And, and that's been known for quite some time. But I think for me, even back 16 years ago, you know, I would always ask my clients when they came to me, you know, and, and a lot of them had been in therapy for a very long time. And it was like, has anyone ever showed you how your mind works? And please tell me what you eat. And, and you know, back then, that was kind of being looked at like I was an alien with two heads <laughs> because it's like, hold on, I've never been asked that before. Why are you asking me that? And once they understand that really intimate connection, um, it makes sense, right? But again, even, even today though, Casey, you know, psychology models still will ignore the fact that, you know, food, as in it should be used as fuel to actually create the amino acids and the neurotransmitters that we need to function correctly, uh, still is ignored largely. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that reminds me, like if I were to be asked that question, I think I would answer firstly, the way that Michael Singer writes about it in The Untethered Soul. Uh, my my mind works because I've got this crazy, insane psycho that makes no sense. It's nonstop chattering all day, every day, narrating my life. And I, I can't stand it, first of all. And second of all, why, why do you care about what I eat? <laughs> what does that have anything Correct. to do with the brain? Crazy. That's right. Or, or, you know, no one actually understands that it's actually connected to the fact that, you know, our bodies are also an unconscious part of ourselves, right? So you can't think any further than how you feel. So the other thing, if your body is, you know, if you're dragging your body around every day and you can't get out of bed and you're constantly tired and you're in metabolic dysfunction, you know, whether it's inflammation or type 2 diabetes depression, anxiety, trying to tell someone in therapy to think positively when your body is in this, it's just impossible. And that's why also people get quite disconnected with themselves because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying. And, you know, then we kind of go into willpower and willpower is 
no match for an addicted body that's, you know, fully inflamed and, you know, running on glucose and carbs and sugars. Um, it just doesn't work. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And I'm so excited to deep dive into all of that with you today. Before we do, I just want to get your view objectively, or I'm sorry, subjectively speaking, as you look out on the landscape, you've been doing this for 16 years, as you reflect back on the state of normal, not normal, average mental health out there 16 years ago versus today, what things do you observe? What things have changed in mental health? Where are we today in 2022 as far as mental health status? If I look back compared to now, you know, I would say the statistics back then would have been say one in five that I would would work with that have mainly depression, anxiety. Uh, I'd had some people that I would look at or, you know, been referred with um, psychiatrists that have had either, you know, type two bipolar. Um, but now, Casey, it's like one in two. Like it's, it's quite significant. And I always say, you know, if we look at the landscape of, you know, nutrition and what that actually looks like, no one is actually eating really what I call species appropriate way of eating. You know, we're eating food like substances is creating a massive addiction. And also too, we must not forget that the connection between, you know, what we put in our body also creates anxiety in our body because it's inflamed and it's in chaos mode. So it's kind of like, how do we operate in a body that is literally trying to survive instead of thrive? Um, and food, again, it's about understanding what is a species human appropriate diet? What are we meant to eat yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to thrive? And you know, I guess what your listener is going to hear today is probably going to challenge a lot of that, you know, what we believe is true versus what we've been hypnotized to eat. Yeah, that's a really good way of saying that. And I say this all the time. We started this podcast two years ago to talk about health and fitness. And I thought we'd be talking about diet and maybe some exercises. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised by this anymore, but initially I was shocked by how many times mental health would come up in the conversation. We talk about it yeah. probably more than any other topic. And so it's interesting that you're noticing much more of that. That's certainly what it sounds like. One in two, are you saying that's like general population, like 50%? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. We're, we're not lacking in pharmaceuticals, right? We're, we're, we're pretty much covered in that bucket, but, you know, it, it's getting worse. And we really have to go back to and what I treat, you know, I'll, or you, you cannot treat symptoms. It just, well, that, that's what the pharma industry is, right? It treats Band-Aid processes. Um, whereas, you know, we look at root cause. Let's get to the root cause of conscious, unconscious programming, your, your negative self-image and also the psychological attachments that we have to food and emotions and, and stop eating your emotions. And actually, and most of the time when we eat our emotions, we're eating really, really crap food. Yeah. We're not eating nutritionally dense food. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about that species appropriate diet. How has your thinking evolved in the 16 years that you've been doing this? What did you originally think and how have that, has that thinking around a species appropriate diet changed over time for you? 
Yeah. So, you know, as again, going back and being really quite lucky to look at Abra Hoffman's work and Lila's Pauling and, you know, the kind of psychiatric nutritional base back then was definitely removing things like wheat and gluten, even back then, um, because of the fact that, you know, they are non-nutritional, um, you know, proper uh, nutrient foods. They're, they're full of glyphosate now as well. Don't know back then because I wasn't actually into, you know, looking at glyphosate 16 years ago, but I'm pretty sure it was quite prominent. Um, you know, it even just recently, you know, over 80% of female uh, um, adults, uh, male, female and children uh, urine tested was full of glyphosate. So again, we've just got to be really mindful of where, where that's coming from, from a gut point and how that's affecting our mind. But secondly, it was literally about protein and fat is the core of what we are a species you know it's like anything on this planet we are species so you must look at what we need as a core nutritional foundation to make ourselves thrive and to make our guts work and create the correct neurotransmitters for our brains to work properly um so back then it was literally pull out anything that's artificial colors flavors preservatives you know msg all of those things wheat gluten gone um, it's really bad for your brain. I'm not sure if anyone is aware of, you know, there's a, there's a protein in gluten that's very, very bad. And especially it can create leaky gut. Um, and, and also too, most people aren't aware it causes inflammation. So you don't have to be celiac to have an issue with it. Um, you know, I see so many clients that have inflammation responses from eating wheat. And, and and basically their face will, will go red or they'll get little pimples or little pimples at the back of their arms. And that's just letting you know that your body's not happy. So we've got to listen, right? Um, nowadays in relation to looking at the connection between ketones and glucose for the brain, um, I'm working with my clients on a very low carb into a carnivore way of eating uh, to literally reset the body uh, and to um, use nutrition as a healing protocol uh, and the amount of results, you know, that I see both mentally and physically uh, because we're using food as, as medicine and healing process, right? We're not using food to get into a size eight genes. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. And so when, when I hear you say back then you were eliminating a bunch of stuff, that's starting to sound like that, that by nature of it is going to turn into a low carbohydrate or a near carnivore type diet yeah. has, what, what was the difference in the addition of things? Was it like you originally weren't cutting out fruits and vegetables or you originally were cutting out things like rice? Like, Yeah. So again, you know, if we look back at the protocol back then, you know, that a small amount of carbs was okay and fruit was okay. You know, I think where I've changed now because we're getting metabolically sicker and sicker as human beings, um, you know, I'm literally like, if you're really metabolically unwell, you've got to get rid of all carbs, all fructose, all sugar uh, for the body to, to heal and reset. Um, so, yeah, things have, things have changed in relation to how I look at it. But again, you know, that was also my own learning process around going, well, hold on, if you've got someone with really bad gut issues and they've got depression, plants need to go. And that might be quite shocking to people. But, you know, plants cause problems for a lot of people um, because of their you know, anti-nutrient qualities. Um, but the fact they're all covered in glyphosate. <laughs> so it's kind of like, mm, yeah, no, we don't, we don't need plants as humans to thrive. You can have them, but again, I always treat people very uniquely 
everyone needs to be treated within their own space of what's going on for them mentally and physically. And some clients are on low carb and reversing amazing inflammation in their body and mental health issues, whereas other people uh, need to go zero carb, no plants, and it's a full high fat, high protein diet. Sure. Well, it sounds like whatever you were doing before was giving people really great results. If you cut out gluten, if you cut out sugar, that's gonna yes. you're, you're definitely gonna experience benefit from that for sure. Were you surprised by the the difference in benefits when you started getting people on the carnivore diet? Were you surprised at the difference between the two? Huge, massive, and not and just myself too, right? So I've I've been now zero carb, zero plant for over three years, and it was just my own journey of, you know, being insulin resistant, which is quite interesting, um, coming from a bodybuilding background, and you know, my my I hadn't eaten gluten or wheat for you know over ten years, so I knew that wasn't an issue. <laughs> But it was more about the fact that I was like, hold on, how do I, how am I insulin resistant? Um, and I just went full carnivore and, and reversed it because I just knew that, hold on, I've got an insulin issue here with with carbohydrates. And my carbohydrates were things like sweet potato or pumpkin and things like that. So it was still very, very like what you would deem species appropriate. But for my body, it wasn't working. Um, so for me, I have seen the most amazing transformations, um, both mentally and physically, when people adopt really the the proper carnival way of eating. Yeah, that's amazing. That's interesting on your story. I actually didn't know that. Do you suppose it was like frequent meals that you were eating that was yeah. jacking up your insulin too much? Pretty much. So, if, you know, bodybuilding language was, you know, you eat every three hours to keep your metabolism up, <laughs> all of those things, calories in, calories out. Um, and, you know, not really um, the protein was kind of lower than the carbs, right? Because of the, the building muscle philosophy. Um, and doing that for, you know, over 10 years, that's where it got me into trouble. But also, too, um, I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do the carnivore thing for 30 days and I'll just see how I go. And cause you know, I understand my body and I know what I kind of feel. And within two weeks, Casey, I, I had never experienced, you know, the power of what ketosis is. So I went into ketosis pretty quickly because I wasn't coming off a sad diet, which I call the standard Australian or American diet because it makes us sad. Um, and for me, it was just, you know, a thousand light bulbs going off in my brain and the amount of energy. And, um, I just, yeah, that was, I thought I'll give it a go for a month. And then, yeah, that's three, three years ago. Yeah. Very <laughs> similar to my story. I did it about three and a half years ago. I wanted to see if I was going to, you know, never poop again, if I decided to try carnivore. And <laughs> I, I was stunned. I was already low carb. I'm sure I was in ketosis most of the time anyway, but the thing that really surprised me was my brain was totally different. And, and I would say it was about that same amount of time. It took about a week or two, but in a week or two, everything was better. The colors were brighter. I was more grateful. I was more present in my life. I could deal yes. with stress better. I can't, I can't explain it unless I'm talking to another carnivore and they know what I'm talking about. 100%. And, you know, this is the other thing when we, when we're talking about the power of making sure that we're getting our body into a really high state of operation, because then that allows us to think better. It allows us to put in tools and strategies. And that's why I work the way that I do, because the thing is, you know, as I said before, you can't think any further than how you feel, right? So once you start to actually shift and change that metabolic health, and you're right, 
trying to explain to someone on the outside of what actually happens when you remove all of that, you know, ineffective food, it's very difficult. But when people feel it, they're like, oh, my anxiety has disappeared. My de- and, and this is the other thing, Casey, that, you know, we're still battling against the fact that, you know, there's so much resistance around allowing people to be empowered by going, you know what, I can reverse my depression and I can reverse my anxiety and I can reverse my type 2 diabetes and I can even reverse my type 2 bipolar and my schizophrenia by using a ketogenic-based way of eating. And again, medical and psychology models are very resistant in that, right? Because they're like, nope, that doesn't happen. That's just an anomaly. Mm, No, actually, let's just allow the body to operate in its most natural state, get back to ancestral tribal functioning and look and watch what happens. I mean, to have another human being sitting in front of you where they've never been told that they can reverse those things, they're completely hopeless, they're put on medications that are are ineffective by the most part from what I can tell, I think a lot yes. of them were developed to be used short term, they weren't even developed to be used for very long, and, and to feel like, okay, I have to deal with feeling like this in my brain for this long, and now Natalie's telling me like, I, I don't have to deal with this, I can get past this, the, the, the amount of hope that you provide to people must be just amazing and invigorating for everything you do. It is. And I think that's why, you know, people, I get a lot of referrals and obviously, um, you know, people had reversed, like I've got a, a client right now, right? She was weighing herself up to four times a day and very calorie restrictive and very ruminative in her nature and very bad self-talk about her body and her, her own self-image. And, you know, she's been carnivore now for five weeks, but this is, you know, she's been doing this for 10 years prior to seeing me, uh, five weeks into a full carnival way of eating. All of that is gone. She's not weighing herself. She doesn't care. She's not thinking about food. And she said to me, I never thought I would get into food freedom and never be attached to food. She said, I just cannot believe how amazing I feel. And it just all dropped away. And there's also obviously the the other part of the work that I do, Casey, in relation to teaching people how their minds work consciously and unconsciously, and where our self image from a um, you know very early age is developed. And I provide the tools and the strategies and the exercises for them to start understanding themselves at a very very deep level and. You know, working with me, they have exercises, they have homework. You know, I write modules for them every week specifically based on what's going on in the session. And it allows them the intimate connection with their mind. So they don't feel like their mind's trying to get at them, but it's about understanding, well, where does my mind travel to when I think about a certain thing? Where does my thoughts come from? Am I unconscious or am I conscious right now? So it's really getting people into the state of consciousness, both mentally and physically, um, but understanding that they're the ones that are doing it. Like I'm, I'm just providing the door and I'm providing the tools and the strategies. And, and when, when people come to me, their, their threshold is, is pretty high. They're just like, I'm done. I can't keep going in this circle. But what you were saying before is really, really important. A lot of people have been told, you know, that yes, you can't reverse your depression or your anxiety or it's in the family loop or whatever it may be. And a lot of people get very feared by that because they actually don't understand who they are on the other side of it without it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so... So it's an identity process. That's so powerful. 
Yeah, I love that. I do want to make sure that we talk about how the mind works and some of that self-image yeah. belief stuff for sure. With with the diet and our species appropriate diet leaning towards carnivore, I want to know what are the things in a carnivore diet? What is it about animal products that are actively very good for the brain? Yeah, amazing. So well, one, they're not inflammation. <laughs> so, for example, like with sugars and hyperprocessed foods and herbicides and pesticides, um, cows are amazing. They have four stomachs, right? So their ability to actually make grass into a very high, powerful amino acid-based product is exactly what we need as humans. So, for example, red meat um, has nine amino acids in it. And, you know, it's really good for people to research and understand what they're actually eating. Um Amino acids are literally the precursors for our neurotransmitters, okay? So, for example, tryptophan is the precursor for to make serotonin. So where do you find tryptophan? You find it in animal-based products. Where do you find most of the amino acids that we need as a human to function? You find it in animal-based products, and it's not by accident. Um, as a species, if we go back, you know, 2 million years ago, we are apex carnivore predators, and, and you know, you don't see a cave painting someone using a you know a spear to chase down a lettuce you know it, it literally is a is a human species survival that we need meat and organs now being carnivore you know you don't have to eat liver if you don't like it it's not a big deal but if you look at an animal in the wild casey that kills you know say a, a, a lion that kills a wildebeest what is the first thing that they generally go to eat they normally eat the organs because they know intuitively that that is the most, you know, powerful superfood that that they need to survive. Humans have moved so far away from what we actually need to survive because we're now addicted based on marketing and big pharma and big food companies. Um, so it's literally about getting back to basics of right, what amino acids do I need in my body? Because that's how your body works. Like I always say to people, do you actually think about what your body needs as in a source of nutrition to actually function. No one knows that because we've just been so blinded by moderation and balance, which is also bullshit. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bluntly, thank you. Thank you. Bullshit. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we need high, powerful nutrients. So that's why if we look at the amino acid conversion, into say neurotransmitters as in dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. Um, you know, glycine is another really important one, which is a, a serotonin um, production as well. 97% of our serotonin is made in our gut. So we must have that as our core first brain. Wow. I love that. I and animal fat. Yeah. Thank you. Fat doesn't make you fat, people. Thank you. On that note, what do you put a, a higher priority on? Do you prioritize more of the protein, more of the fat, or do you just allow people to eat whatever animal products sound good? Depends on them, right? And this is the empowering part. Like, you know, I think as human beings, we're the only species that have ever been told that we need a meal plan. Like, we don't need a meal plan. We need to actually understand what our signals are and what our hunger is. And again, we just need to eat to be fueled. So eat until you're satiated. So some people, you know, they'll go, look, I need more fat. I might just eat it. Listen to the signals. Because once we get all the inflammation out and you start to understand what your signals are, People just become so unattached. They're like, wow, I just need to eat that and stop. Yeah. So once again, for me, I'm kind of go between one-on-one -on -one ratio, but other times, you know, my body will send signals that I need far more fat. Like last night, like I literally 
you know, nearly ate half a, so I got a two, 250 kilo, a 250 gram of butter. And I literally pretty much most at half of that last night. That's my favorite thing to do is eat cold butter. I love it. It's so good. No one understands. It's like, just slice it like cheese and eat it. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. You fit right in around here. That's great. I love that. <laughs> I have to say too earlier, um, I, I always joke about the, the, um, you know, the cave paintings, how they, I never yeah. saw like a, a blend heck or Vitamix with all the like spinach and kale and all the toxic crap no. in there. And I also have never no. seen the spear with the cabbage. So that visual is going to go on there as well. Oh, I love that. Okay. So we've talked about the things that meat can benefit when we add animal products that can benefit. Let's go to the other side now and let's go to the most obvious things that don't help. Let's go processed foods. Tell us again yeah. why processed foods are so bad and so toxic for our brains and our bodies. So let's look at like most middle aisles of the supermarket. So I'll always say to people, if you're shopping in the middle aisles of the supermarket, you're actually malnourished because there is nothing in there apart from possibly sardines in spring water or really good quality of olive oil that you may find in the middle aisles. Um, don't shop there. You need to shop on the outside. So for example, um, when we become um, addicted through the bliss point that most manufacturers will put in their product. So for example, cereals is the most obvious one, which I'll talk about. They're not food. You should never put cereals into your into your body, let alone into your kids' bodies. Um, also too, it's just, if you look at the ingredients, Casey, this is the thing. Most people don't understand what ingredients is a most really high powerful species appropriate food doesn't have an ingredients list. So that's the other thing, right? Now, again, if we go back to moderation, you can't have a moderate amount of junk food without being addicted and then having a moderate amount of disease. So it's kind of like you can't do anything in moderation. That's just made up based on influences, marketing companies and things like that, right? So I always say, yes, stay away from wheat, gluten, sugar of any sort, especially, you know, again, even fructose for some people is a really, really big issue. And even, you know, all corn syrups, all of the the high inflammatory products that they're putting in these foods for us to become addicted to, you just need to stay away from. So again, you become addicted and then you your dopamine centers fire off. So for example, they're all like, not sure if you've um, audience know about the bliss spot that most manufacturers will 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 get a product to the point where you have one and then you have two and then you can have the whole packet because the reaction from your taste buds into the dopamine firing off, you're done, right? It's 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 literally addictive, like anything like cocaine, right? They've also said that sugar is is on the on the side of being addictive in the same way as cocaine is. Wow. Even plants, you know, I guess this is the other thing too. Like we do know the processed foods in itself, we know that they're not healthy. They don't provide any depth of nutrition and satiety. So this is the other thing. When you eat a low carb or into a full carnival way of eating, you are totally satiated all day, every day. The only time you ever need to fuel yourself is when your body says, okay, I need fuel now, right? I don't need pleasure. I need fuel for me to function for you to make you thrive. Whereas when you eat hyper-processed foods, sugars, and even fructose, too much of it, is you are on an insulin roller coaster all day. You're thinking about food. You're hungry every couple of hours or you're going for coffee with sugar and, you know, 
God forbid, almond milks or oat milks and things like that. You know, there again, they're disgusting. Um, Seed oils, stay away from them. They're the most, you know, if I was to say to someone, the first thing you need to remove is seed oils from your diet. Like just get them out. Shocking. Wow. Um, Bad for your brain. Yeah. And the funny thing is, if you got rid of seed oils, you'd probably get rid of all the processed stuff anyway, because seed oils are in everything. They're in the most expensive salad dressing you could find. Absolutely. It's just shocking. And that's the other thing people, um, you know, always say, well, isn't vegetable are really good for you? And I'm like, well, when was the last time you squeezed a vegetable and got oil out of it? <laughs> Not a <laughs> single drop came from vegetables. None no. of it comes from vegetables. Correct. No, it's all processed from a plant, which is covered in glyphosate. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Okay, you'll love this. This happened just today. I was working with my client and I asked him, you know, how's your week going? He said, oh, it's been, it's been pretty tough. I don't know what happened. Like on Tuesday, I just got this like kind of panic attack and my, I felt like my business was failing and my relationships weren't working and I felt super fat all day. And I was like, wait a second, I recognize that. And so I asked him, like, did you have any sugar? He was like, no, I've been eating really well. I didn't have any sugar. And then he goes, well, wait a second. No, Monday night was Halloween. I had sugar. I had Halloween candy on Monday night. And I was like, I knew it. That is the same way my brain works if I get sugar. Anxiety through the roof. I hate it. It's not worth it. No, and this is where, you know, people get so disempowered, Casey, because, you know, the, the connection is, as we said earlier, it's ignored right? Don't ever, ever underestimate the power of poor nutrition on your brain and how it then reacts in your body. It's very, very powerful, but powerful in the wrong way versus say, for example, what we were talking about before being in ketosis state and your brain running on ketones, that's a whole different power, right? So again, the empowerment of that is for him to understand, whoa, what happened for me when I chose to do that? So again, I always make sure people understand this is not about a cheat day. And again, moderation, balance and cheat days are all BS. So don't get into the language patterning of cheat days or I fell off the bandwagon. No, no, no. We choose to do it because choosing is far more empowering. But then when we actually get the feedback from our body, and this is the other thing, when people are low carb or into a carnival way of eating, and it normally happens within a three-week period where everything starts to shift for most people, they understand the feedback that they can really actually go, hold on, I'm having a real marketed effect here on my mental and physical health. And once people actually understand the feedback, they're like, that's just not worth it for me. Yeah. I find that, 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 that explanation explains why so many people self correct on carnivore. They like, they, they just end up feeling so much better and it's easier and easier for them to stay carnivore over time because they're noticing the benefits and also noticing the opposite effect of when they have something that you choose something. I love the way you frame that. They choose something that makes them feel terrible. It's not worth feeling terrible. Correct. And, you know, I always even kind of err on the side of caution when I even use the word carnivore diet, right? Because diet, again, is associated with past patterning when, you know, most people go on a diet and they'll the, the unconscious goes back to the memory bank of all the times we went on a diet and we go in with the wrong mindset because we've got to be really mindful of 
words have actions which have unconscious consequences of past memories or past things that we have done. So I'll always use the fact that carnivore is a species-appropriate way of eating and it's a lifestyle way of eating. It's not a diet because once you take out that word, again, the mind's like, well, I've never done that before. That's a little bit unknown for me. And that's where people then start to understand the connection between the known and the unknown. We don't want to create in the known because that's a series of everything in the past. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I could be, I could be a lot more mindful about that myself when I'm talking about the carnivore diet and, and, and just talk about like that species appropriate diet, the way that you talk about. Now, one thing that gets a bit tricky when you're talking about people who you're right, like are addicted, we kind of think of being addicted as like, well, you have really low willpower. You need to increase your willpower and try harder to get away from these foods. And I, I think that's kind of a mistake in my experience, but you, you do this. So tell us a little bit about the, the kind of myths or truths behind willpower. Well, it, it's a myth. It, it just doesn't work, you know, especially if someone's addicted to hyper-processed foods, right? So again, I hear it all the time, like, I just can't do this. Like, there must be something wrong with me. And then then they feel bad because they don't have the willpower or someone externally has said to them, like, just use willpower, right? And it's like, have you ever tried to tell a drug addict used willpower to get off heroin or cocaine? No. Food, hyper-processed foods, Food-like substances are addictive, literally the same mechanism, same chemical reaction. So that's why willpower doesn't work. What does work is educating someone on this is what your mind's doing, this is what the dopamine's doing, this is what's happening in your taste buds. But also too, Casey, another side of that is the connection and the emotional attachment to those foods. And the resistance for people to understand if they've come from a big diet mentality, they're like, oh, I can't have that. So every single time they go into that default method of, oh my gosh, I've done this 20,000 times before and it's never worked. Of course it didn't work because you're addicted. (laughs) We've got to get rid of that and actually get the body back into another process of elimination, ground set, like ground reset root cause and give people the tools, not a meal plan. Mm. That's so interesting. I've been really curious to ask you this question. A lot of my nutrition coaching certifications have a a very high amount, I would say, of behavior modification strategies. So before we have you count things or track things or whatever, we're going to see, you know, checking in with yourself. How are you feeling? Let's talk about your emotions around food. Let's, let's, um, You know, I don't know. There was just a lot of tools and tricks and I thought they were helpful, but at the same time, it also kind of felt like we were just like spinning around with a bunch of like kind of techniques that never really got somebody eating properly. And I find that the people who just say like, look, like the people you said earlier, I'm sick of being sick. I feel terrible. I'll go eat a diet. Now it almost seems like the brain starts to fix and you almost don't need to use as many of those kinds of tools to really help people along. What do you think about that? Honest question. Yeah, it it really is true. I see it all the time. So this is why people, when they, they come to me, they're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of doing that. Like actually, you know, let's treat the body. Let's get the body at a full, you know, nutritionally dense, you know, way of eating. And then all of a sudden, you know, 50%, a lot of the time, 
their thinking and their, their, their symptoms start to lower or disappear. And they're like, what? I've been talking about that story for 10 years in therapy and all of a sudden now it doesn't really matter, <laughs> right? And it's like, true. But one of the biggest things is going back to understand how do we learn what food is, right? So if we go back to how our minds actually um, and our brains program ourselves, because we're also, most people are in a waking state of hypnosis every single day. Up to 90% of what most people do is based on automatic pilot programming mode that we learnt between the age of zero to seven. So a lot of the time they're redundant false beliefs, values that are not ours. However, the unconsciousness, so for example, if you think about your head as a video camera as a kid, you record everything, visually, auditory, sound, smell, energy. Also too, humans are energy, right? We absorb everything. Now, as a child, you don't have the analytical ability until the age of 12 to 13 to start to question, which is what I call the analytical questioning part of our mind. Prior to that, we are in what I call a pre-cognitive phase between zero to seven. Anyone in authority to you is basically where you learn from. So they're your source of, for example, most mums have probably been on a diet all of their lives, right? So as a kid, you see that patterning behavior and that's where your visualization of food comes from. Secondly, when you sit down at the table and you're told you've got to eat all of that because you don't get your dessert or you don't get your treat until you eat that, right? Now trying to shove a bit of broccoli into a kid, if you watch a kid eat a bit of broccoli, they don't want to eat it. But, you know, as humans, we've been programmed to shove that vegetable into that kid. But if you give them a piece of meat, I'll guarantee you they'll down that without an issue. Why is that? It's an innate ability of instinct. So we move people away from instincts quite quickly as kids, right? But again, if you fall over and you cry, oh, here's a lollipop, stop crying. Food has always been used as treats generally or as a punishment. So the connection between what food is, is a very, very slippery slope. But again, we also develop a very poor and conflicted self-image because most people in authority to us pretty much have the same thing. Wow. How challenging is that to unwind with people? And, and again, what's, how do you balance you know, eating properly and eating animal-based with all the techniques that you practice and teaching people how the mind works? How do you balance all of that? Yeah, so it's a it's a very clear structure, but again, it depends. You know, when I'm talking to people, people have their own unique way of processing. So, for example, it's about allowing people to understand that your mind will always stay in the known, right? Because it loves familiarity and it's kind of trying to protect you, right? So again, it's it's like a little vortex around you of all the patterning and programming that you've learned as a kid, which isn't yours. So again, as an adult, we grow up and we're like, hold on, something seems in conflict here. And we get into this thing, what I call self-image conflict, because we've got this patterning of everything outside of us, which is externalized, right? So most human beings, Casey, are also uh, conditioned and programmed to validate themselves externally through other people's thoughts, feelings, and reactions. We're never taught 
how to actually validate our own thoughts, feelings, and reactions within ourselves. We don't have a rel- 99% of people <laughs> don't have a relationship with themselves mentally and physically until we disrupt the pattern and I allow people to understand what things look like, sound like, feel like, and get them out of unconscious past patterning into the gap and the space between conscious and unconscious. And that's where the changes happen. But it's unknown. And most people, when we talk about the unknown, it's very fearful because the body will automatically and brain and mind will automatically try to jump back into the known. So most people look at their future, it will be a replication of their past. Right. And a lot of the time that doesn't look too good for most people. Right. I was just thinking we're all either spinning in anxiety over the future or we're like in depression when we're thinking about the past and it's so hard for us to be present. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it's about recognizing that kind of self-talk, stepping in and trying to stop that pattern when you see it happen or at least tell yourself a different story. Well, basically, I give people the tools and the strategies. Um, you know, so one of the most powerful ones is sitting in stillness. So most people cannot even sit still because their their mind is so active and it just takes them away and then they get ruminated in those past thoughts attached to self, right? And most people don't love themselves. They love themselves conditionally, not unconditionally. But if we think about the fact that, you know, eating, I always say eating a species-appropriate way is a high form of self-respect and condition, unconditional love for self. But most people find that so unfamiliar and so scary that they have no concept of how being respectful to themselves. Because again, <laughs> this is really important, when people start to shift away from a sad diet and everyone else externally starts to see that, that generally what I call as ruffles feathers on the outside because people will be like, you're going to die from a heart attack if you eat that way. Um, But it's really empowering people to understand you're walking in your body and your mental and physical health is not a community project unless the community is supportive of you. And you've got a very, very strong belief structure and value of self, of unconditional love for self. Um, that's the key. And that's where sitting in stillness, it allows people to understand, hold on, I'm the director of my mind. But you can't do that, Casey, if you're operating in a vortex and a hurricane every day, both with what you're fueling yourself with. So again, I'll say to people, you know, you're fueling your body with chaos. That's why you feel chaotic. That's why your mind is chaotic. You know, again, our brain is 60% fat. We're not eating fat. And animal fat is one of the most powerful things you can eat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So one thing that keeps occurring to me also is when, when I think back, ironically, on all of the nutritional guidelines that we've been given, it was really yeah. only to treat one thing. We thought it was heart attacks. It was really only for men in the United States. It wasn't considered for women or children or anything else. And it frankly, it failed. It didn't even work for that one thing. And now we have all these other problems. But 
you, you see that we tried this very specific thing for a very specific outcome that we were trying to fix. But when we eat a species appropriate diet, it's, it's the opposite. You eat one way and not only does it help you with your brain, but it helps you on so many other things. Can you talk about why we optimize it in any different way when we're eating a species appropriate diet? Well, the thing is, you know, if if we look at, I'll, I'll use a lion again as an example, right? A lion in the wild is a species and even in a zoo, okay? They have one diet. Guess what? They don't end up with inflammation, type 2 diabetes, you know, all of these metabolic dysfunctional things that we have now. Like we have so many names for things that we never had, you know, in the 70s, right? And Ansel Keys has a lot to answer for. Yes, he does. <laughs> Don't know if you know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, so again, you know, we, we've got to actually really understand, right, every single animal on the planet, including us, has a species-appropriate way of eating. If you give a gorilla in a zoo junk food, what do you think is going to happen? They get sick. <laughs> if you give a lion, even if you put a kale in front of a lion, they will smell it and they'll walk away. It's not a species appropriate way. And the thing is, it smells bitter. There is anti, you know, chemical structures in there that, you know, they know. Instinctively, they know. Humans, we've been conditioned to move away from that. But again, metabolic health has been driven by you go to the doctor, you've got something, here's a piece of paper, go get your medication. Type 2 diabetes is a perfect example of that. You know, if you look at um any species minus humans, we are the only species on the planet that have so many metabolic dysfunctions. And why is that? Because we don't eat an appropriate way. Now, if you are metabolically healthy, great, no problem. You can have some fruit, you can have, you know, a little bit of whatever is, you know, good for you. But if it changes your thinking, and or you get scattered or you can't sleep, then there's still a problem, right? It's about getting people empowered to understand, I actually don't want that. It's not that I can't have it because, again, if we say I can't, then that goes back to all our patterning and programming of like all the things that we're in restriction with. You just don't. You just don't touch it. It's about elimination. But when you eliminate guess what happens? Your body starts to heal. And this is the other thing we've also moved so far away from, Casey, is your body has an amazing ability to heal itself given the right environment. But if you're fueling it with sugar and rubbish, and and I always say this, if you treat your body like a garbage tip, it's going to respond accordingly. But also the caveat in that is the fact that people feel so bad about themselves, whether or not they're judging themselves in their body or their weight, but it's the unconscious self-image and the patterns and the values that are driving people's thinking behaviors. So it's about them reconnecting back with self. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you mentioned healing. I see that in myself and my clients all the time. And it I see it in the way that you mentioned the kale. When the lion walks up to the kale and smells it and moves on, if you are... If you, if you cannot imagine a world without processed foods, try eating this way for a while because that yeah. will flip faster than you think. You can walk through the middle of the store and 
it, it could be cans of paint for all you care or books. <laughs> it's, it doesn't even register as food and it loses its no. power and temptation. It really goes away. You, you are 100% spot on. Uh, and that's a very clear narrative that I get from my clients as well that would shop in the middle aisles, right? And now it's just so repelling because the thing is, even with alcohol, you know, I've had clients that, you know, when they first started working with me, they may have one or two a week of red wine or whatever, but now some of them six weeks in, they literally get the smell of it. And it's like, Natalie, it's just my body telling me, no, I, I don't want that. That is not the best fuel for me. Um, so that in itself really starts to allow you to understand the human instinct that comes back. It's telling you, I, even me looking at a piece of kale, that's just like, ugh, no, no. <laughs> We get were, it away. We were at a family party. I've talked about this before. This is recently. My wife felt really bad about this because it just kind of came out. But we were we were at a family party. The people had cake, and the cake wasn't tempting at all, and that was fine. And we watched people eat cake. But <laughs> but we watched we watched my wife's mom start taking spinach and putting it in her mouth. And Bethany, without like thinking about it, said, "Are you eating that raw?" She's like totally disgusted. She said afterwards, like, I felt really bad. I didn't mean to like blurt that out or make you feel bad about it. But it's funny, like being away from certain kinds of vegetables, certainly like, oh my goodness, they don't, they, they look harmful to me, honestly. Well, honestly, kale is the most bitterest, disgustingest thing. But again, you know, this is the other thing too. We've got to understand that most of these vegetables, um, you know, that we, we see these days, they're not naturally from what we were meant to eat, right? They're all kind of GM modified and you know, like a Brussels sprout is between a cabbage and something else. And, but again, bitterness, we get past the bitterness. Why are we forcing in things that taste bitter? We become acceptable. You're not meant to eat those things. But as I said, you know, some, some of my clients do really well on low carb vegetables or even, you know, fruit really like say, for example, um, cucumber is a fruit. Um, they're really good on that, but it's focusing on the high protein and the high fat as the main source. Um, but the disconnection that you you create and operate, it's the power of ketosis. Like it, it's, it's very difficult for people to kind of equate if you don't experience it. You just walk into the butchers, you get your stuff. It, literally, I think I shop for probably 10 minutes a week. I get to the butcher, I get my stuff and I leave. And the other thing that I also hear from a lot of people is I have so much more time to think about other things and food. And it's so easy. So easy. Food restrictions just disappear because you know what? There is no restriction, right? You eat until you're satiated. And sometimes that's between some people go two meals, some go one, some go three. It just depends. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I spend way less time shopping. I spend way less time cooking. I spend way less money on my food. And talk about restriction. Like if you look from the outside in, it may look like you're restricting because there's so few different foods in the diet. But I'm telling you, when I make, I, I call them quality eggs. I make them before my Formula One races that I watch every yeah. week on Sunday. I, I make 20 eggs cooked in a bunch of butter and I scramble them up uh. and I eat them while I'm watching the race. And like, I can't, I can't even think about food for like a day. Like, I, yeah, you don't, you don't even think about it. It's amazing how much easier it makes things. Well, it goes back to satiation, right? So if we talk about, you know, the insulin roller coaster issue, you know, your and this is the other thing, 
it, it's like, oh my gosh, people get hangry, right? I don't know if you know that statement over there in, in the US. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, we get hungry and then we get hangry. And it's like, that's your body telling you, you're not fueling it right. You're not creating the satiation that it actually needs. And then our minds just go into this massive refocus and we get so consumed by trying to fuel and generally it's with rubbish. Um, And if you eat crap, you're going to feel crap, both mentally and physically. And it's that simple. Um, but again, you know, when we talk about moving away from moderation and balance, once you start to eat a species appropriate way of eating, that all just disappears. It yeah. just does. Yeah. It, it <laughs> talk to any carnivore and ask them. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Exactly. No, exactly. It's funny that the word hanger was just put in the dictionary like a few years ago. That should itself be a sign that like we didn't live with this word. Now we had to come up with this term. What changed? Well, it's the food is the most obvious. What, why are we hungry all the time? Where are we hungry and grumpy all the time? It's because we're eating and, and, and mentally, mentally sick. Right. So even, um, you know, I'm a massive fan of um, Dr. Chris Palmer. Uh, He's a nutritional psychiatrist out of the US and, you know, he treats schizophrenia and bipolar 2 reverses with, with a ketogenic diet. Yep. He's amazing. Yeah. We've had him on the show before and I love him. And Dr. Georgia Eid the same. Yep. Oh, I know. Brain energy, right? Yep. Yeah, I know. (gasps) So excited to read that. I know. Coming up soon. But you know what? Yeah, the, the I was going to say the other the other side of it is you know if we really look at where we were in the sixties and seventies you know and meat was such a powerful thing back there and you know we never had an issue with it then but then all of a sudden you know as we said with Ansel Keys and the the um the studies that were were skewed and paid off with sugar this is where it all started to go wrong and, you know, moving into low fat diets and things like that. Um, you're constantly in, in, in a hunger state, but you're not in a hunger state in a great way. Um, but again, we've just must understand the connection between what we have learned. We must be open to understand that, you know, what a human can thrive and be really, really healthy, both mentally and physically without eating vegetables. Um, otherwise you and I and everyone else would be dead or very sick and we're not. (laughs) Totally. I think with mental health, it's almost like now we've stacked a few generations on top of each other, a people that were eating tons of sugar, then they had babies and those people all started eating a bunch of sugar and now we're having babies. And I think that's really exacerbating and speeding up the problem with mental health where, you know, diabetes and and obesity may have been more immediate, but, but the mental stuff kind of came later. And I, I do shudder and worry a little bit that, I mean, that might get a lot worse before it gets better. So I guess my last question for you is like, what keeps you feeling optimistic or are you optimistic about the future for us? I really am. And I think it's just about, you know, like people like yourselves and, you know, all my other colleagues, you know, we've, we've got this massive collective energy of just talking about, you know, what's happening out there. And, you know, it, yes, it is, I guess, controversial if we, we talk about it that way, but is it really? Because if we look at the Inuits and the tribes that have been living forever, they've been doing this from day dot, right? So we are sick and we must understand that the connection between mental and physical health comes firstly from our food and secondly from our programming. It's that simple. Um, and I think the more that we talk about this and the more that we advocate for it, um, I think things will change. And people, you know, like the Chris Palmers of the world and, you know, a lot of my colleagues, 
um, we're pretty loud and, and we're loud because we want people to actually find their thrive, right? That That's just what it is. Um, and if people are ready, they'll be ready. If they're not, they'll stay back a little bit, but that's okay. But just be mindful of the fact that humans are very, very, very powerful. And what you touch at the end of your fingertips has a lot of power. Yeah. So just, just be mindful of what the human body is capable of. Wow. If you put it in the right state of being. That's amazing. Yeah, I absolutely love that. What a cool message to end on. When we interviewed Dr. Chris Palmer, we also brought on uh, Brett Lloyd, who is one of his clients, pretty famous in the carnivore space, dealt with, dealt with you know, terrible depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, switched to carnivore several years ago, improved his health. He worked with Dr. Palmer. And so it was cool to see the two of them. And I think it's very much related to what you were saying and why you're so optimistic. I think of it as like that starfish story where the little girl's walking along the beach and, you know, all of these starfish have washed up after a storm and millions of them. And she's just taking them one by one and throwing them in the ocean. And the old guy says, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, you're not going to save all the starfish. You're not going to make a difference. And she picks up a starfish says, well, it's made a difference to this one throws it in the ocean. And I think, you know, maybe not everybody is ready to hear this, but what about that one life? What about Brett Lloyd? Who's been changed forever and how meaningful it is to him to now live in a state of like perfect gratitude every day. And he's so yes. happy. And so I just, I love, I love the energy that you're bringing to this conversation. And I've had such a great time chatting with you today. I've loved following your work for so long. Natalie West, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? So you can find me on, yeah, the socials. So Facebook, so it's Natalie E. West. So same with Instagram and uh, website there as well. So it's natalieewest.com and obviously through Casey, um, you know, also to YouTube, you can, you know, put in my name and I've got a lot of the other um, videos that have come up there as well. Uh, but also too, for anyone that's listening, you know, I, I do a 30 minute free uh, introduction um, Zoom for anyone. So, you know, if you want to kind of have a chat and you've learned something about what we've spoken about today and you want to dive deeper, just book in and we can jump on and have a chat. That's amazing. We also offer a free 30-minute consultation for anybody in the world if they want to come and chat with us about anything. And I get the feeling that you probably are a lot like us when we do this. That that 30-minute call sometimes stretches to 40 and 50 minutes if we still need to talk. It and it usually results in us emailing you and texting you and following up with you and seeing how things are going. And like we're giving a lot of our time away for free, but we're so happy and excited that people want to change that we just do it. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I always want to congratulate people who, whoever's listening to this and goes, you know what, I'm fe- I want people to pay attention to the reaction in their bodies. So there will be some resistance, but there'll also be a knowing somewhere that something is, this is your next step. So, you know, be brave, reach out, have a chat, because uh, it might just change your life. I love that. What a great message to end on. Natalie E. West, thank you again so very much for all of your work. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Loved it. So appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. So much fun. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio.
As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Boundless Body Radio.